Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, I believe you're in Liverpool University as we talk because you've been so busy this week. <laughs> I don't know why, but <laughs> things have been happening. Yeah, yes, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm presently uh, in my office at the uni. Um, I, I was coming up on Monday morning uh, expecting a, a quiet week. Uh, yeah, there didn't seem to be any huge stories breaking. And then suddenly my phone started buzzing. And uh, yes, it went into overdrive to, to such an extent that, uh, that, that the Baroness now refers to me as Romesh because the only time she ever sees me is, is on television or radio. <laughs> I, I like the fact you're the, the football finance world's equivalent to Romesh Raganathan, uh, <laughs> which might make me Romesh's mum, really. Um, yeah, that's, that's fine, I'll take that. And yes, let's go back to Monday morning, Kieran. <clears throat> Sometimes we like to introduce our news stories with me doing a little sort of postmodern hint at what it may be and you telling the world what the story is, but we know what the big story is. Before we start, though, Kieran, I want to point out that I and you fully understand why Man City fans are so defensive and angry this week. I've listened to a lot of radio, watched a lot of TV. If this was happening to Palace and Brighton, Kieran, you and I would be defensive and angry. I think City fans detect some glee from some media people about what's going on. Um, we don't want to do that. We just want to talk about the story as dispassionately as possible and accept as well that these are accusations which Man City deny. But it's a huge story. But it's a huge story, Kieran, that you can only describe it. It dribbled out on, on Monday morning. It, just, it wasn't leaked. It wasn't announced. It wasn't even the top story on the Premier League's website. And we understand that Man City were informed at the same time of this story dribbled out. Is there anything significant in the, in the way it was even announced? I, I think uh, there's a couple of issues to pick up from the way that it was announced. When we have seen other clubs uh, being accused of financial fair play breaches, normally what has happened is that the, yeah, say the EFL and the club say, look, there's an issue here. The EFL say, we are going to put out a press release and the club, because it's been informed, will put out a press release at the same time. They tend to be very corporate. They tend to be very anodyne, um, very factual. But what happened here is intriguing in terms of the timing for, for two reasons. Yeah, we just spent a, we just had a, a weekend where... Everton had beaten Arsenal, which had got Manchester City fans excited because they could have reduced the lead yeah. in the Premier League to two points. And then Manchester City got it wrong. and They, 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 they lost at Spurs to, to Harry Kane's record goal. So, um, you know, it looked like it was just going to be a fairly dull morning. And then the Premier League made an announcement and it was picked up by a couple of journalists. I think Martin Ziegler of the Times was one of the first to spot this. Um, and he put it out, and the whole story exploded. Mm. But what Manchester City are absolutely livid about is that the Premier League didn't have the common courtesy yeah. 
to advise them that this is what we're doing. Now, why is that? Is it that the relationships between or the relationship between the two parties had deteriorated to such an extent that the Premier League wanted to have a bit of one-upmanship here? Is it because they feared if they had advised Manchester City in advance that Manchester City would have tried to secure every single law firm in London and made, therefore, the Premier League's position more complicated? And why did it suddenly come out two days before the government's white paper in respect of football regulation, in respect of football governance, and a white paper which has been vehemently opposed by the Premier League from day one was due to be published. And irony of irony, of the big six clubs, the only one that has said, actually, we're in favour of an independent regulator is Manchester City. So there's far more to this than it just being a prosecution in respect of a breach of financial rules. There's a lot of party politics involved. Um, we, we, we saw the, in, uh, the Institute of Economic Affairs who were involved, allegedly, you know, 55 Tufton Street, they were uh, behind the, the Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng uh, economic experiment uh, last year, that they've started putting out articles trying to knock back and, and discredit the uh, the proposals. And you know, why would a right wing think tank ever want to get involved in the football industry? So, you know, are they being used as de facto lobbyists by the Premier League? Who else is being used as a lobbyist? It's all very curious. And it is not very transparent from the side of the Premier League. One press release, nothing more said. And as as you rightly said, it it sort of dribbled out on the Premier League's own website. So Manchester City had a quick look at it. They put out their response, which I think is fair to say was uh, feisty. uh, They've they've effectively said, bring it on. And uh, it's going to be an intriguing Set, set of affairs, which is going to take a long time. Uh, our friend Nick DeMarco has has said in the Times today, could take between two to four years. So it's it's going to be complicated. There'll be a complete news blackout. Um, I, I, I don't think either side will be briefing journalists during the course of events. But uh, yeah, the timing, strange, Machiavellian, makes you feel uneasy. And if anything strengthens the case for an independent regulator if this is the type of behaviour when we've got self-regulation operating in the industry. Well, I'm kind of glad to hear you say that, Kieran, because you've sort of preempted my next point. So I want to talk a little bit more about the timing before we talk about the details of the charges. Uh, As it happened, the the white paper uh, on the football fan-led review uh, was postponed because of the cabinet reshuffle anyway. But Many people, uh, you know, you were on a show with Nikki Campbell on Five Live uh, very soon after the news broke, and again they were jumping to the same conclusion there that this is the Premier League preempting the call for a, an independent regulator by saying, "Look, we're we're quite capable of looking after our own business." But waiting uh, eleven, twelve years to do so, which is essentially what they've done, 
indicates to me it strengthens the case for an independent regulator rather than saying that the Premier League are able to, to look after their own affairs because clearly they're not, certainly not in the timescale. So that I thought that was an interesting one. And again, as you say, it, it makes Man City seem like a political uh, football, doesn't it? You're absolutely right. I mean, it, if, if, you take, if you create a spreadsheet of Manchester City's financial affairs, and I just happen to have one in front of me, if I, if I was a regulatory body and I saw that one of the member clubs had tripled its commercial income in 2012 from 40 to 120 million pounds, I think my eyebrows may, may have been twitching a bit and I'd have been investigating to then. But what it appears to be the case is the Premier League said, we're just going to sit on our hands. We're not going to get involved. Um, and it's it only started to get involved um, after the... Uh, that the hacking uh, in respect of the Portuguese hacker, and, and, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing or a good thing. You know, I, I, I'm you know the the curious part of me. I think hacking is quite good if it if it holds uh, parties to account. So I've got no issue with the hacking itself. But the Premier League didn't start the investigation till 2018. It's it's now 2023. The, the investigation has taken longer than World War One. And when you put it in that context, it, again, doesn't reflect particularly well as far as the Premier League is concerned. Now, the Premier League will say, well, hold on. If you take a look at the charges, some of the charges are that Manchester City deliberately obfuscated, delayed um, and tried to make things as awkward as possible. And and you read the charges and I've read all all 115 of them and, and and it does paint a fairly vulgar picture in respect of what the Premier League thinks of Manchester City. But then you also think, well, hold on. When I last checked, Manchester City were A, a member of the Premier League. B, they are a shareholder of the Premier League. And C, they're the champions of the Premier League in four years out of the last five. So it it just seems very strange and, and a, clearly a, a breakdown in the relationship. We're fully aware that other Premier League clubs have been lobbying the Premier League in respect of they think that there's something up with Manchester City. We saw you know, there was a letter which when, when Manchester City were given a two-year ban by UEFA, I think it was eight or nine clubs effectively wrote to the Premier League and say, yeah, get the champagne corks out. This is fantastic news, mm-hmm. which yeah, I, I'm all for I'm all for rivalry, but that seemed a bit insidious. So, th- th- yeah, the timing doesn't fit. They be if they say that this goes back to 2008, 2009. Um, th- there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But why did it take them the best part of the decade? Why did it take a Portuguese hacker to effectively and and Der Spiegel in in Germany with the football leagues for the Premier League to get its get its uh, uh, ass into gear? You, you, you're confusing me with this talk of a Portuguese hacker, Kieran, because I, I keep thinking of rugby. Uh, I can't help thinking that a Portuguese hacker would be slightly less fierce than the, the traditional New Zealand hacker. But before we talk about some of the specific charges, there's one more general question I'd like to ask you, Kieran, um, and then we'd like to get on to what you think will happen um, with this committee and, and afterwards. We spoke about Juventus and the 15-point penalty deduction recently 
and, and we did so in the kind of superior tone that uh, English people often take when talking about mm. some of these wacky kind. You just go, "Oh well, it's Italy. What do you expect? That's how that's how they roll over there. They take these, you know." But you talked as well about the uh, impact it would have on the reputation of uh, Italian football in general. Is it going to be a similar impact? I mean, we, uh, of course, we're not going to anticipate the outcome of this, but will there be people around the world? Will there be broadcasters thinking, well, this could uh, impact on the, the credibility of English football as a whole? I, I'm not so certain. And, and the reason why I say that is that if you take a look at the Tour de France following yeah. the Lance Armstrong debacle, if you take a look at golf, in terms of the post-Tiger Woods era, there's still a lot of interest in in the sport as a whole. And, and when it comes to football, I think what sets football apart from many individual sports is that football um, is tribal. It is about rivalry. It is about getting one over on other teams. Uh, yep, yeah, we've got... Palace versus Brighton this weekend, and that's all that matters on Saturday. Yeah, it doesn't matter how crap you play, so long as you get a result. So, so, so I think the world of football is actually quite short term. If you take a look at um, American franchise sports and you look at the the non-stop scandals when it comes to behavioural issues in, well, especially the NFL with regards yeah. to yeah. Uh, drugs and. There's some pretty. Uh, I'd, I'd encourage people to, to listen to the occasional episode of Crime in Sports to see. You go, blimey, O'Reilly, yeah, that is that is staggering, and the, the, the sport continues. So I, I don't think that there'll be any significant um, reputational damage. Um, the, the next FIFA World Cup is going to be a success, and we've just had two in Russia in Qatar where. There were question marks. There's the potential for yeah, the next world, well, the next World Cups to be awarded uh, it, for an unusual consortium of countries. Football makes people forget about life, and that's one of the great things about it. And I don't think the Premier League will have to worry about broadcasters or fans in Asia, in Africa, in in Americas, and so on, saying we're going to switch away from the Premier League. We're going to watch the Bundesliga instead because we feel it's a more ethical, uh, it's a more ethical sport because we've got that brand loyalty with the way that we support our clubs, and you know, when it, when sometimes when our clubs don't behave in a great way, you, it's it's a bit like when your child misbehaves. You're not happy with them in the moment, but deep down you still love them. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I had to think about that. No, of course, Kim, you're absolutely right. Um, it's not just this week the Palace Brighton game mattered, kids. It's the day after Boxing Day, pretty much. <laughs> the Palace Brighton game has been mattering. You, Kieran, as you say, have read all 100 uh, plus charges against Man City. I doubt very much if any of us have done the same thing uh, or want you to go through them all now. But I think we can sum them up as uh oh. But what are the main. Can you pray see the main charges against Man City? Yes, I, I think we can reduce the, the charges down to three broad areas. First of all, Manchester City 
artificially inflated its income. So that's the first allegation. That's the first series of charges. And let's just go back to to financial fair play. Financial fair play says that you can lose £105 million over three years. Well, what is a profit or a loss? It's income less costs. So therefore, if you inflate your costs, this is the first accusation, that's going to help you stay within the limits. In respect of Manchester City, it's, it's a case of the accusers saying that Manchester City has received money from the club owners, which under normal circumstances would not count towards FFP, but they've disguised it as sponsorship income from companies related directly or indirectly to the club owners. So therefore, it's been effectively being able to, to claim that they've got commercial income when actually it was owner's income, and owner's income wouldn't have counted towards the FFP calculations. The second issue, and I think we were we were actually talking about this on one of the shows in, in the last seven days, it's all about parallel or phantom contracts. Yeah. Now, in the case of Manchester City, what the allegation is, is that when Roberto Mancini was manager, Manchester City were paying him through the book, £1.45 million a year. But in addition to this, he had a contract to be a consultant stroke coach um, for a club in uh, in the UAE, in, in Abu Dhabi. And he was getting £1.75 million a year from for that particular job, which involved four days' work. So... If that is the case, then according to the Premier League, uh, Manchester City are deflating their costs and increasing their income. But you, know, you and I, we both remember one, one of, the, one of the, the, the jolly japes in terms of the stories we had on this show was when an EFL club was paying a, a, a player's mum 700 grand a year yeah. to be an academy scout. And there were no repercussions. There were no charges yeah. in respect of that in the form of financial fair play. So, yes, these charges are, are serious. How much are we talking about in total? I genuinely don't know. The third accusation, and I think this, you know, if, if it is true, it, it doesn't reflect well on, on the parties. But it, the Premier League has said Manchester City has just been awkward. They've delayed, they've obfuscated, they've used tactics to stifle the progress of the uh, of the investigation, and therefore they've made that more difficult. That was also an accusation that was made by UEFA against Manchester City. And indeed, Manchester City, whilst they were cleared of the charges with regards to financial fair play, from UEFA did end up having to pay a 10 million euro fine for delaying tactics. Now, Manchester City claimed at the time, well, the reason why they started to get awkward was because in their opinion, UEFA were uh, leaking titbits to pet journalists to try to put forward the case against Manchester City. So City said, well, if you're not going to act in a manner, i.e. We, we, keep, we keep it all behind closed doors, then we're going to turn on the awkward step um, and, and make things as difficult as we can for you. So those are the three broad charges. 
And the Premier League is, is alleging that this took place over a nine-year period. And if that is the case, and these, these charges are proven, then I think it makes the board of Manchester City, their positions completely untenable, because it's effectively saying that Manchester City's board of directors or executive staff have deliberately entered into a process of trying to misrepresent the, the accounts in order to comply with financial fair play and therefore gain an advantage against other clubs in the in the division. You mentioned UEFA, Kieran. Is there any overlap between these charges and UEFA's charges, or are these Premier League charges completely separate from what UEFA were claiming Man City did? That, that they are independent. The Premier League's investigation has been independent. Um, that there are a, a couple of differences, which which I think we we need to be aware of. First of all, in the case of UEFA, UEFA was effectively the investigator, the prosecutor, and the judge. Right now, that normally makes you feel pretty uncomfortable. You know, if, if that was in in, in any other. Uh, walk of life. If that was in in a, another geographical jurisdiction, you'd say, "What well, sounds like a kangaroo court." In the respect of the Premier League, the Premier League is the investigator, but there is an independent commission who will be gathering the evidence or will be listening to the representations of both the Premier League's or uh, the Premier League's legal team and Manchester City's legal team, and then reflecting and making a judgment. So I think there are some differences. Secondly, in terms of of timing, the Premier League's accusations go back to 2009. Now, UEFA is limited under its own constitution to five years uh, in terms of evidence. So so UEFA couldn't go back when, when the case was brought further than five years. So, so there, there is no time bar as far as the Premier League is concerned. So that's why there are so many charges relating to individual seasons, which are more than five years old. Um, also, in, in respect of sort of a slight difference, um, if you take a look at the Premier League handbook, which, which I suspect has been one of the most downloaded products <laughs> on the internet over the course of the last 48 hours, I, I refer people to the the twenty two twenty three handbook and rule w eight zero and rule w eight zero intriguingly says in the case of uh, an independent commission, it does not matter where the evidence comes from, provided it is relevant now why is that important well some of the evidence may, we don't know what evidence the, the Premier League has seen, some of the evidence may have come from the hacker. Now, in, in terms of uh, what happened with Manchester City and UEFA, UEFA did present this evidence, but Manchester City's lawyers were able to attack it from saying, well, it's not contextualised. You might only be seeing one half of an email and we, we don't necessarily admit we, that our clients sent the emails as well. So I think that there are... Um, a few differences. They're, they're not huge, but I think the statute of limitations issue um, does strengthen the position of the Premier League and weakens the position of City compared to where we were with UEFA. I, I don't know if Pornhub even has an office, Kieran, but I quite like the idea that for the last three days they've been sitting in the office going, 
no one's downloading any porn. Here's what, what? Yeah, they're all they're all on the Premier League website downloading the rules. Okay, um, so what happens now? The, the, the three person committee that will be investigating the evidence of both sides, they will come from where? Kira? Are these all independent people? Will there be one from the Premier League, or are they all business people, accountants, financial experts, etc.? I, I, I believe that there, there is a King's Council who is effectively heading up the commission, who won't necessarily appoint himself to be on the judgment cap, uh, on the judgment panel. But uh, there's likely to be somebody from a finance background, because I know uh, Derby County fans, for example, one of the things which made them really cross when, when they were up before uh, a commission in respect of uh, accusations in respect to financial fair play, they said there wasn't anybody with a finance background, in their opinion, um, that was forming a judgment. So I think there's likely to be somebody from from a financial background uh, with an understanding of you know, football affairs and, and how things work. Um, there's likely to be somebody from a legal background as well who is is well versed in in what constitutes more reliable and less reliable evidence, um, and, and probably another. You know, I probably suspect there'll be. Two, two lawyers and an accountant or, or something like that. You know, people, and they will be very highly regarded individuals because this is a flagship case. You know, I, I said that I felt that if Manchester City lose the case, that that means that the board of directors have, have no, no validity. They've got no credibility. Exactly the same would be the case in respect of Manchester City successfully defending themselves because it then looks as if the Premier League have brought this prosecution for two reasons. A, because Manchester City aren't popular with some of the other bigger clubs in the Premier League, because Manchester City keep winning the Premier League. And B, it's effectively, is it a spurious case brought by the Premier League? Because they're just trying to prove to the outside world self-regulation works and therefore it's a case of we can therefore disregard the recommendations of the Crouch Report and the calls for an independent regulator. I believe the KC, uh, who's been put in charge of setting up the commission, has admitted that he's an Arsenal fan, so that's probably a reason why he may not take part in it. Before I ask you, Kieran, we do have a lot of other big news stories that I want to cover. Before I ask you about possible outcomes, one of the things that a lot of Man City fans have said, and indeed some Man City journalists, is that they simply don't believe that had uh, Liverpool or Manchester United been accused of these charges, that the Premier League would have taken them on. They they feel that Man City are not considered to be a club with a huge global brand and therefore are a, not a safe target, but are a target that the Premier League can attack without the sort of, and they've been getting a lot of stick from City fans, and, and understandably so. But is is there anything in that, Kieran, or is that just the understandable uh, lashing out of Man City fans? Well, you can understand City fans feeling defensive. Um, the Premier League effectively did very, very little, stroke absolutely nothing uh, in regard of those clubs who tried to take over the domestic game yeah. and to reduce it to a 16 or 18 team league to uh, have votes reduced in such a way that it would only need six votes for, for, for football rules to be to, to go through. And that was designed by Manchester United. Now, we've also got 
the Super League clubs, of which Manchester City were one, and I'm not saying that they are innocent in that, but they certainly weren't the drivers in respect of Super League. So if if the Premier League is going to say, well, those clubs that are involved in Super League and big picture, which was effectively an attempt to transfer control of the game to the likes of the Glazers and John Henry, uh, if, if those that's not going to result in any charges, why is it that Manchester City are being used as as a scapegoat? And I can see that if, if I was a City fan, I, I, I might take that that view on board. Um, at the same time, it, if these if these charges are proved to be correct, it reflects really badly on the board of directors of Manchester City. And I think you've we've always said you separate fans from club owners, yeah, because they don't share the same culture. You've only you know I, I, I say I work in the city of Liverpool. Um, I, I listen to people you know from the likes of the spirit of Shankly, who yeah the people sort of make you make you really proud to be football fans yeah. because they get it and the owners clearly don't get it. Um, this is as much to do with business. This is as much to do with if Manchester City get a severe penalty, then it reduces the number of sides who are competing for the top four places in the Premier League and the rewards of competing in the Champions League. And therefore, the other clubs have a vested interest for Manchester, for Manchester City, first of all, to be prosecuted by the Premier League. Secondly, to be weakened, because if this case does take two to four years, as, as Nick DeMarco has been quoted um, in The Times, then if you're, if you're a, a, a high-quality footballer, do you want to come to the Etihad with that threat hanging over you? So you know, there, there is a lot going on here. Uh, you know, it, it's what what we've seen is the bit of the iceberg that's floating on top of the water. What we're not seeing necessarily is is the mass beast below it. Yeah, and plus as well, I suppose it's more difficult for City to attract players when Guardiola has said publicly that if it turns out he has been lied to and these things did happen, he would leave the club straight away. So that's an extra problem for City and their fans. In terms of potential outcomes, Kieran, it, it, it seems to me, you know, with, you, you watch TV, you listen to the radio, the, the whole gamut of potential outcomes has been discussed. It seems to me, if I was a lawyer, if I was a City fan, I would be arguing that if it was proven beyond any doubt that some people at the club had misrepresented accounts, you still can't prove that that has influenced football outcomes on the pitch you can't prove that you know man city won those titles because of that extra financial benefit it seems to me we've got the precedent of for example sheffield united suing west ham because of the tevez thing we've got people saying well points deductions will they be you know ahead or past which and of course everyone's saying that financial implications are completely pointless. So, with your serious financial hat on, Kieran, what do you think? Assuming that the outcome is that the Premier League win their case, for want of a better word, what do you think the most likely outcome is, or is it possible to predict that now? I think if there is a successful prosecution. Um, in respect of the, the Premier League's accusations against Manchester City, the most likely outcome will be a a financial penalty, which everybody will disregard. Yeah. 
and B, there is likely to be a sizable points deduction. Now, how do you work out an appropriate level of points deduction? If, if you take a look at the EFL, the great thing that we got from the EFL when Birmingham City had a points deduction was there's actually a known tariff. There's no such tariff here. And indeed, we, we don't even know by how much, if any, Manchester City would have exceeded the financial fair play limits um, if if these cases are proven and therefore that they had uh, disguised ownership invest ownership investment and the the wages hadn't you know had wages been paid directly by Manchester City. So my gut feeling is that if there is a successful prosecution, there would have to be some on field repercussions. Right. Um, and therefore, a points deduction, yes. Um, stripping of historic titles, no, because I think you're absolutely right with reference to the Tebes case. You know, well, Sheffield United were not reinstated. West yeah. Ham were not relegated. Um, the fans of Manchester United and Liverpool will be creating um, some form of asterisk campaign yeah. uh, in relation to Manchester City's uh, you know, achievements in winning the Premier League because I, I think if we look at it, it, it would potentially result in two titles for Liverpool and two titles for Manchester United. So from a from a tribal point of view, the court of Twitter will, will, will get itself into a frenzy. But in reality, I think a historic realignment um, won't take place. It's It's not the same. It's not as simple as when we see in the Olympics when... Somebody finishes fourth, but the first, some one of the top three is 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 subsequently found to have been using drugs because we know that drugs are performance enhancing. Uh, you know, Manchester City they might have got some extra money and they might have spent it on a crap player who actually made them worse rather than yeah. better. And I think it, so. I think that's very very difficult in terms of demotion to another division. Um, Juventus have been demoted. Rangers have been yeah. demoted historically, but those were for more complex issues. Rangers went into liquidation. You know that was that was so. There's there's no indication that that would be the case at Manchester City. You know, Manchester City's owners. You know, the, the irony is is that the, the club is not in any financial distress. So I, I think if anything, it would probably have to be a points deduction if. You know, all of these charges or all of the serious charges are, are proven because otherwise uh, I think the other clubs in the Premier League say, well, what, what's the point of giving one of the you know, the clubs with the richest owners or second richest owners now probably after that at that of Newcastle, what's the point of giving them a financial penalty? that, that They won't notice it and, and therefore there will have to be something which is noticed by, by the football community on a broader sphere. And finally, Kieran, this underlines everything you've said about football since our very first pod, that clubs act out of self-interest. And there will be six other clubs in the Premier League at the top end who will be going, yep, throw Man City out because then we've got a better chance of getting in the Champions League. And there will be Palace fans and clubs around us who have no personal animus against Man City at all going, yep, throw them out of the Premier League this season because that's one less club to be relegated because that's how... Mm. The rest of us work for all the anger and angst and worry and fear of Man City fans. Understandably, the rest of us are only really interested in what happens to Alba. 
You're, you're absolutely right. And I think those fans who who want it sorted this season, and I know that some clubs want it yeah. sorted this season for exactly that reason. I don't think this is this is going nowhere fast yeah. as far as a decision is concerned. Um, and again, you know, Brighton are six in the Premier League. If Manchester City got a 25-point penalty, then potentially we're fifth. Yes, all of a sudden we're thinking... Holy moly! Yeah, we could end up in the Champions League, yeah. but I, I, I don't think I don't think it's going to be the case because you know how soon is now when it comes to making this decision, and I, I just don't see it as being a, a quick a quick and easy process because if you've got one hundred and fifteen accusations, then you have to have the time to put together one hundred and fifteen defences. I was going to say, Kieran, I'm disappointed in you for turning it around to Brighton at the end, making it all about Brighton at the end. But then you slipped in another Smiths uh, song title. So you're back in the good books. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by Football 360, a brand new online course on football business and finance brought to you by our very own Kieran Maguire. Kieran, as you're here, tell us more. Well, indeed, I, I am here. And Football 360, it's designed for football business professionals. Well, you could be a career starter. Well, you could be a football finance nerd. That's how I started. And it, and it covers everything from understanding the club financial statements to, to valuations, financial fair play, and so on. Um, it's delivered in bite-sized chunks. They're they're fifteen minutes long. Uh, they're daily. They're on-demand video lessons, so you watch them when you want to. Um, and and then slightly embarrassingly, it features me. But we've also got some industry experts, people who really know what they're talking about. Um, and there'll be networking sessions, so you can experience for yourself the unbridled joy of me talking to you about my latest spreadsheet. And if you're very very lucky, I might mention amortization. Oh, and if you're very, very, very lucky, there may also be a module from me in creative eyebrow raising. Go to football360.online. That's football360.online to sign up now for the very special launch price of just £149. That's football360 or 360 if you prefer dot online, where you can sign up to this fabulous course for just £149. You will learn a lot. I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Our next news story, Kieran, is about another mega-wealthy Premier League club. And I suspect 
if Man United, Man City fans, I beg your pardon, if Man City fans are, are, have got a cup of tea to their lips at the moment, they might yes. be spitting that tea out. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost, it's sometimes, you know, at the moment, if you're a, a, a satirist working on a, a high-profile TV satire show, things are getting quite difficult because politicians are doing a very good job of satirising themselves. And this next story is, is almost in that category. Yes. Now, I, I take this story with a pinch of salt, and, and I'm not saying this because it's in the mail, given that I now write for the Daily Mail. Um, but, and I, and I know you're disappointed in <sighs> Did me. Did I make that big enough sign? <laughs> <Yeah>, I think... <laughs> Does that make me unlovable? I, I don't know. I, I, I... <laughs> no, Kira, nothing can make you unlovable. <laughs> um, yes, this is this is a claim in the mail that the Chelsea owners, after a record spend in the transfer market in the last two windows, are now going to uh, make a proposition to the Premier League that they should be treated as a special case for financial fair play purposes <laughs> because the club's assets were frozen um, when Roman Abramovich uh, was was linked to the Putin regime and therefore the government froze all of his assets with the one exception that Chelsea were allowed to trade but Chelsea were not allowed to generate income. So they weren't allowed to sell tickets. The merchandise... Um, you know, the, the, the mega store was closed. Um, the government, I think, made a sensible decision and said, look, you, you can serve catering because you can't expect people to be locked up in a football stadium for you know two, three hours and have no access to food or drink. Um, so it, it, if this story is true, then Chelsea are saying that uh, they have been discriminated against because the former owner last season, um, his behaviour by being connected to Putin resulted in the club not being able to sell tickets and not being able to sell merchandise. And therefore, they should have an additional allowance when it comes to the financial fair play calculations. And it's and it, I think the word is chutzpah that <laughs> would be used here, because everybody else is going, well, if that is the case, why didn't you just sort of... You know, taper down your spending in in summer twenty two and in winter twenty three, um, and and if this and if they are successful and you know and clearly this is another reason why perhaps we need a regulator because whatever happens the chances are we won't hear anything from the yeah. Premier League because if they, if they if they put this through on the nod yeah we're going to give Chelsea an extra ten million pound allowance well how are we going to know as fans and if they, and if they do do that then effectively it completely destroys the position against Manchester City because they would appear to be giving you know, one club a bit of a leg up whilst trying to keep another one uh, you know, in, in its place. I, I, I'm not an expert in PR, Kieran, but surely somebody at the Premier League will be going, not this week. I think we I th- <laughs> def- definitely don't nod it through this week. You could understand Chelsea. If, if Chelsea had only spent five million quid and said, well, we only had that to spend... You could kind of understand it, but on, on the back of spending 300 Brazilian, it's mm. a lot. Of, uh, three stories now, Kieran, about potential changes of club owner. Um, mm. The first one, if you're, if you're a Charlton Athletic fan, this is definitely labelled under the, uh-oh, 
fire, wasn't it? Yes. Um, the story, which um, again, I'm not quite sure how much this is a briefing from some of the people close to the deal is concerned. Um, I, I think Charlton, and I appreciate as a Palace fan, Charlton's not your favourite football club. But again, separate fans from football clubs. Well, well no, uh, Kieran. Really, they're, they're they're sort of down there with Millwall somewhere. I'm a, I'm aware of their postcode. It's similar to ours, but yeah, it's Brighton, Kieran. So, yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, they they must have they must have stepped on a black cat at some point <laughs> because Whilst they had the Roland yeah. Duchatelet, who uh, there was, and again, I I I, I like. I like the cut of Charlton fans' jib. When, yeah. when they protest, it's throwing plastic pigs onto the pitch and, and just doing the stuff which gets attention and gets a story into the media and so on. So well, I mean, um, they, was, they had a... a they, they started show. their own political party as well, didn't they? they to did. get back to the Valley, which was an amazing campaign. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah, this, is a, this is, again, reasons to be proud of football fans. We're not the morons we're, play, we're, we're set out to be. You know, we, we are imaginative. We are funny. We we can uh, we, we can use terrorist humour and uh, articulate ourselves in a way which many people do not give football fans credit for. Um, so they had Roland de Chatelet. He eventually went, and he was replaced with um, is it Thomas Sangard? Yeah. Um, who was uh, or is a, 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 an American investor? He likes to paint himself as rock and roll. And, and let's let, let's say it: we invited him twice onto the Price of Football podcast. Yeah. You and I both sat there waiting, and the sod didn't turn up on he both didn't. occasions. So That's he's fine. not he's not in my good books. He he could be a, a, a a bit rock and roll. He could be a handsome devil if he if he really cares to be. But in my books. He's, he's not great. And I don't think he's made the progress he wanted to uh, with with Charlton. And th- th- there is a case, you know, when, when a new owner comes in, if the, the old owner had been disliked, immediately you get that bounce because the first thing that Thomas Sangar could say is, I'm not Roland de Chachelet. Yeah. So therefore, people go, well, hey. Um, and then it could be a case of, ah, but I'm not actually... A whole lot better. So, I think relationships between the Charlton fan base and, and the current owner have deteriorated. Um, so, therefore, is there somebody about to walk in now? If that person was known for wearing salmon-coloured chinos, then it can only be one man, and that's Charlie Methven, formerly. At Charlton, sorry, yeah. formerly at Sunderland yeah. and made quite famous um, during the Sunderland Till I Die. Now, um, you know, we, we said a couple of weeks ago that, that Charlie did actually send us a 10-page email saying that I'd been rude about him. Yes, yeah. um, sent you a 10-page email, Kieran. <laughs> well, he, he, he sent it to questions at Price of Football. <laughs> now, we both know that that means if you send something to questions at Price of Football, it takes producer guy about nine months to wade through the backlog. So um, in terms of Charlie Methan, let, let's just take a look at what happened. He, they acquired, he, he and, uh, and Donald acquired a club um, that is the only club in the history of, of the EFL to have two years' worth of parachute payments 
and have the biggest attendances in League One and on both occasions fail to get out of League One. So uh, he, he put together a, a very passionate case, uh, did Charlie, in, in respect of his achievements at Charlton. I'll go, uh, sorry, achievements at Sunderland. I'm not convinced. Um, he, he called the fans parasites. Yeah. Now, I, I, if, if I was... Yeah, if, if I was running a nightclub, if I was running a uh, a grocery store, I wouldn't go around calling my customers parasites. Fo- football fans are many things. We, we can be, we, we can look at things through a lens which is is distorted by our affection for the club, but we ain't parasites. Yeah, we we're not we, we're not sucking the the blood out of the club. Yeah, we we are we are the lunatics that that go from Sunderland to uh, South End on a Tuesday night yeah. in numbers and support the team. And then, you know, and then the team lose and you have to get home at four o'clock in the morning and you still turn up for work the following morning. And as much as you are hacked off with the performance that night, we all know on the Saturday you'll still be there. So, so to, to call football fans parasites, and yes, I appreciate uh, he he did withdraw the comment at a later point, but that was only under pressure. So he is being connected uh, with an acquisition of Charlton Athletic. Um, he's not doing it because he's a Charlton Athletic fan. Uh, his motivations, uh, if, if, if you know, to paraphrase some of what he said in in the email to us, uh, I'm entitled to make some money from this. You are absolutely right. You are entitled to make some money if you're an investor. But here's a suggestion. Why don't you go and find another industry? Why don't you go and find an industry which does not involve the passion, the thoughts, the the affection of people who are football fans? Because we don't get you and you don't get us. Yeah, to to paraphrase that, go and annoy someone else, Charlie, basically. Um, Whatever I feel about that, Charlton are rivals to Palace, of course they are. But that club and those fans deserve better than Charlie Method. Let's be fair. Um, and well done for slipping in, handsome devil. That's two Smith songs so far, Kieran. You're, you're it's actually a, five. Is it? I, did I, have I missed a couple? I'll, well, I'm not going to listen to the pod, so I'll have to ask you afterwards. So, um, Sheffield United uh, are doing well off the pitch and big developments on the pitch. Oh, other way around, on the pitch and off the pitch. Yeah. Yes, yes. So yes, they've they've made progress in the um, in the FA Cup. Uh, they uh, are, do, are doing extremely well in the uh, in the Championship as well. And th- there's been talk about uh, a takeover from and apologies if I get this name right um, from Dozy Um Obusi. Um, and then you know, and credit to. The, the people like Joey Durso and, and Matt Slater and, and some of the other journalists who, who have been doing a bit of digging. And it's, as always, Company's House becomes our friend. Um, Dozy uh, um, Umobosi um, claims to be a Nigerian billionaire and uh, has uh, owns Tingo Airlines. Yeah. And says, oh, I'm, I'm looking for a license to fly from Nigeria to the UK. Now, w- what I don't want to do is, is to fall into stereotypes of, you know, we all have in our spam folder um, 
emails from Nigerian princes are, are saying, hey, I, I, I've, I've just got an awful lot of money. Could, could, could I put it into your bank account? Please send me your bank details. So I, I don't want to go down into that particular route. But um, if we take a look at Tingo Airlines, which appears to be the source of his wealth, he says it's a billion pound company. And so I go, OK, let's let's pop along to Company's House. And um, if, if we go to Company's House, well, indeed, Tingo Airlines um, does have a billion pounds worth of shares. So you think, well, he's put a billion pounds in. Well, I wonder to myself, what could be the amount of shares that have not been paid for? And purely by coincidence, it's a billion pounds. So he's issued a billion pounds of shares. So therefore, he should have put the money in. But it also says in the accounts, this is the amount of money we've not yet received, which is also a billion pounds. And then Companies House also says that the address to which Tingo Airlines is registered is a false address. It's effectively, they've sent out letters which have come back with not known at this property. So therefore, they've now said, um, well, we're going to have to give Companies House own address as the home of Tingo Airlines. So it's therefore Companies House has set up a striking off order uh, in respect of Tingo Airlines. Tingo Airlines, I think, does have um, an Instagram page. But if when you go to that and, and you take a look at the, the picture of the aircraft, which has Tingo Airlines, um, should we say that it looks as if that picture might have been interfered with? And the word Tingo Airlines is effectively somebody's gone along with a bit of tip X, put out, crossed out the name of another company and written in crayon, Tingo Airlines. And you go, this just looks extremely concerning. Now, here, the EFL will have hopefully done their, their due diligence. And I've got to say, in, in my experience and observation, the the EFL has really upped their game. This will be a classic case of let's see whether the owners and directors test is as watertight as, as we would want it to be because it, it doesn't look great uh, in, in terms of Mr. Umbozzi's, uh financial position. And uh, I would be looking for far more transparency here because he doesn't seem to have a big digital footprint. You know, when you, when you, uh, in terms of if if somebody's worth a billion pounds, they normally must have run a few companies to have got that far. And uh, you know, sometimes things are a bit opaque. You know, nobody quite knows how Roman Abramovich generated his wealth. But as far as uh, this case is concerned, uh, I'm I have my suspicions. I, I must admit, you've surprised me a little with the answer to that. Uh, news story, Kieran, or the explanation of that news story, because uh, although I say it does sort of illustrate our particular roles on this show in that you do the actual deep financial research and I look at photos in the tabloids. Because yeah, when you look at when you look at the the PR campaign, it, it, it looked like, you know, he's he's been at the training ground, he's been shaking hands with players. It looked like a, a done deal by a very wealthy man, but clearly <laughs> Who knew that tabloid photos could be misleading? Well, sh- shades of Chris Kirchner, ah, I would say. Okay. okay. Um, this third takeover story, Kieran, um, it, it's about Morgan. Mm. Um, 
the traction we've had uh, on social media about this has been huge. Um, and I'm not suggesting huge for a club like Morecambe, but we've been asked about this by so many people from so many clubs. And again, as an outsider, uh, despite the relative youth of the potential new owner, it, it seems to me like a, a decent enough story, but it's clearly a great deal of concern from Morecambe fans that we're seeing, and they've been very keen at, to get your inside view on this. Yes, and, and I, I think a, a high five has to be sent uh, in the direction of Martin Calladine as well, who uh, has, has written a fantastic book in respect of club ownership, and he is one of Twitter's Rottweilers when it comes to uh, the background of these people. So he, he's done a lot of digging. Um, and this is in respect of a, a gentleman called uh, Sabjo Yahal. I hope he's pronounced his name correctly. Um, and he is he's 20 years old. He appears to be from Edgbaston. Mm. Now, if, if I was 20 years old and uh, a very rich individual from Edgbaston, I probably would be out enjoying myself. And I wouldn't be getting involved in a football club for which I've had no historic affection or involvement. Um, A football club that's losing money. A football club whose fan base is devoted but not big and therefore has probably the smallest budget in League One. Um, Now, he said that he's willing to buy uh, Morecambe FC. Uh, I think he's willing to pay. Uh, I think it's, I think the price involved was five five million. Which, speaking to people in the local press, there they say, "Well, it's about twice as much as we thought as anybody would yeah. pay for it." So, you know, is it is it time to start pressing the panic button? Because w- what you then do is say, "Okay, well, what what is his background?" and He's involved with a company called Saab Capital. Now, if you read some of the press reports from when he first got involved, um, it, it looks as if uh, you know people say, oh, this is a private equity firm. And, and the first thing you say, oh, private equity, that, 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 sounds, that sounds a bit professional. That sounds a bit sort of you know, world of finance. Um, but Saab Capital's website appears to have been taken down. Um, Saab Capital was promising because when I sort of do a bit of, uh, you, you can you can use a bit of a, an internet time machine to find out what Saab Capital was like when it used to exist as a website, um, and it and it was pres- it was proposing thirty five percent returns in a week. Wow! E- e- even my uncle Terry, when he was <laughs> when he was offering some investment opportunities to little old ladies. He wasn't offering them 35% in a week. So, yeah, it does well, sound a bit to be, outlandish. To be fair, Kevin, he wasn't actually offering either, really. <laughs> An offer implies some kind of choice. But let's crack on. That's true. That's true. Um, uh, looking at LinkedIn, Saab Capital appears to have four employees. I don't know any private equity companies that only have four employees. You know, they, they have to have compliance officers. They have to have people that are doing the investigations who, who you know, to, to, to put the, the, the people with the private, with, with, the, with the large sums of money, looking after their money. 
So it just looks wrong. He, he also says that he's he's got a drinks brand which will have a value of one billion pounds. Uh, you know, having a value at some point in the future of a billion uh, is probably pushing it for a company which only appears to have one drinks product at present. So you, you put all of those things together and it just doesn't look great. And who are the current owners of Morecambe Kieran and what's their current financial situation? Is it such that they need or they want to offload the club? I, I think they probably do. It's currently owned by the Bond Group. They also are the owners of Worcester Warriors, yeah. a rugby union club, which has gone into administration. Yeah. Um, one of the people connected to the board group is a lawyer um, who who was struck off for a period of time. And you know, yeah, I've said before, you know, I'm I'm a chartered accountant. We we are a professional body. We are normally very reluctant to to, to stop our own members from practicing. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's it's very much a a, a job of last resort. Um, so. You know, for for have to have people connected who who have effectively been told by their own profession you've gone too far um, doesn't look great. Um, so you know, where does this leave Morecambe? Because the club isn't isn't making money. Um, you know, th- does it mean it's curtains? Well, you know, the one thing we know about football is never give up. You know, there is a light that never goes out, and therefore. Um, we we have to keep the hope going. Yeah, I, the other thing as well with the valuation, Kieran, and I, I I noticed there is a light it never goes. In fact, you've got me so paranoid now. I think everything you say is actually a Smith's a lyric or song title. A, a couple of the tabloids, I mean, put a, a, a higher value on Morgan than than five ten million pound because of the seaside location of the ground. Is is that a worry that this a uh, young entrepreneur might be looking at, at that as a potential way of, of expanding his portfolio by buying the club and then selling the ground? Um, yeah, well, I'm always worried about the protection of, of football stadiums. And uh, yeah, I've, I've taught at Lancaster University mm. uh, on, on occasion, which is close to Morecambe. And, and I, I went along to a Tuesday night match in Morecambe. Delightful little ground. Yeah. You know, uh, and it's quite a nice place on, on, on that part of Lancashire, which is in the northwest for any of our geographical <laughs> observers. Me, me, <laughs> me, me, you mean, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, I said that Scunthorpe was by the sea. Um, no, with global warming, yeah. perhaps I'm just ahead of my time. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Um, but, uh, yes, uh, I, I think the concern would be, is this somebody who's trying to, to buy the club and then you know leverages it by taking out mortgages on all the property assets and so on. Um, you know, that 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 is pure speculation. I've got no evidence, and I'm not making any accusations. But uh, it, it just doesn't it, it doesn't pass the smell test. Uh, having somebody from this this location get involved in a football club uh, at such a place uh, for those. Worried Morecambe fans, Kieran, and as we know, there are many of them. 
this is one of those things where us outsiders think, well, hopefully the EFL owners and directors test will, will flushing out and prevent that takeover happening. But at the same time, if that does happen, that could lead Morecambe in even more trouble, couldn't it? Well, well, that's right, because if, if you've got owners who are not in a position to fund the club or are unwilling to fund the club, um, then it's all very well saying, well, we're not going to let the new owners in. And again, if we look at what happened with Berry, Steve Dale, reprehensible human being, but there was nobody else at the time willing to take over the club. Yeah. So, you know, where, where does this leave you? Um, and you know, whilst you know we, we've nailed our uh, our colours to the mast of of the independent regulator, you know, this is an, an issue which does cause concern because if an owner is unable or unwilling to fund losses at a club, can the regulator save the club? I, I'm you know, unless there's some form of of bonds that you have to pay when you buy a football club and that goes into a central fighting fund, you can see things getting quite unpleasant and, and difficult. There, there is, though, I believe, Kieran, a potential hopeful benefactor for, for Morecambe. Tyson Fury has a, an interest in part of the training ground, I believe. Is that right? Yes. I mean, he, I think he sponsors their shorts. He, he yeah. is local. Um, I think there might be an element of wishful thinking. You know, right, Ty- okay. Tyson Fury is a professional athlete in his right. own right. Yeah. Um, he he has been very successful um, as a professional boxer. Doesn't necessarily make him a Morecambe football fan. You know, and right. you know, he, he, he lives a very modest lifestyle in, in the area, as people will probably testify. Um, but uh, yeah, is, is that a case of you know, two plus two equals five in, in the sense that he is you know, Morecambe's most famous resident, with the exception of Eric Morecambe, who clearly you know is no longer with us. Yeah, um, I'll say what I always say, Kieran. If you know a Nigerian tech billionaire who wants to buy Sheffield United, or a young lad entrepreneur who wants to buy Morecambe, are listening, we'd only be too happy to hear your point of view, um, mm. if there is one. But of course. I, I would. I, do you know what? Wouldn't it be nice if producer guy was to call us in the morning? So they've both been in touch. It's all fine. They genuinely want to buy the club, and they're going to invest loads of money in it. But uh, neither of us are holding our breath. Uh, yeah. Producer guy would forget to tell us anyway. <laughs> Too busy polishing his gold phone. A, a couple more stories to get through, Kieran. Um, yeah. Which is a euphemism for five, but they're quite short. <laughs> I'll whiz through these. Uh, the, the, the first two are about. Uh, sponsorship deals, and they both involve sovereign nations. Yes. Uh, the, the first one's in respect of Spurs. And th- this question, in fact, has developed, um, I think, whilst we've been recording this show. Oh. Um, Spurs had a £42.5 million deal with the South African Tourist Board, and it was for uh, match day advertising, training camps, kit branding, uh, to have the South African logo, you know, on those perspex signs when when you know Harry Kane gets interviewed after scoring another goal and so on, um, and this provoked quite a lot of negativity back in South Africa. South Africa is going through a, a pretty tough time at present. Um, there has been a failure 
of sovereign government, in, in my opinion. And I've visited South Africa and I've had a yeah. great time whenever I've ever gone there. But at present, there's power shortages, the water's not running at times, and um, there's been a lot of opposition as soon as this, this deal was announced. You know, people in South Africa said, you know, why are you advertising our country when, when we turn on a tap and no water comes out? You know, that, that's surely the government needs to focus on things at a local level rather than giving money to a, to a football club. And this has been a similar accusation that was made um, in respect of, of Arsenal, who, who are connected to the, the Visit Rwanda yeah. campaign. Although Rwanda is is less of a, a democratic institution than South Africa, um, so what we have seen today uh, in in the last couple of hours is that this deal appears to have been vote vetoed. Oh. Um, the opposition to the government really kicked off about it, and um, I, I now read that, and, and this this is the irony: um, the the South African Tourism Committee has vetoed the South Africa Tourist Board uh, in terms of giving £42.5 million to Spurs. So so Spurs are having, uh, they're not having the the best of things at present when it comes to their their commercial army. This has been vetoed. Um, The the naming rights for White Hart Lane, which was supposed to have come through at the end of 2022, that's not materialised. It could be that, you know, they might have been negotiating with a crypto company, and we know that the crypto world has, has softened. You know, uh, uh, Chelsea have lost their sleeve sponsor, and so on. So, in terms of the commercial position, it's not gone as well as Spurs would have hoped for. And the next sponsorship story, Kieran, again comes under the category of you can't satire an organisation that's satirising itself. It concerns. Saudi Arabia and the 2023 Women's World Cup. Yes, um, this is a this, this is a story which has been in the press. Um, it, it appears that Saudi Arabia wants to be a sponsor of the uh, Women's World Cup, which is taking place in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, I think this June, July, um, and FIFA are trying to get separate sponsors for the men's and the women's game. That's great. Yeah, that, that's. I think they they are different products. They, uh, I think they have different demographics. So therefore, having a different type of sponsor, you can see the benefits. But in respect of Saudi Arabia, um, it, it, it's not a a, com- a country which has been historically linked with women's rights. Um, there has been some progress. Uh, women are now allowed to attend games, and you mm. might be thinking, well, that, that's not you know. That does seem that that's not very much progress. I think there is now a women's football league. And I'm thinking, well, well, why is that the case? And then we also find, in respect of another story which has broken, um, during, during the, this, this is clearly a long show, um, that it appears that Saudi Arabia wants to jointly host the 2030 World Cup with Greece and Egypt. We, we were aware of that story was doing the rounds, but it now seems that Saudi Arabia has said to the Greek government, um, hey guys, here's a deal. We will fund your stadiums to be built in order to comply with FIFA regulations for the 2030 World Cup. 
provided that 75% of matches take place in Saudi Arabia. So having three countries uh, you know, offering to, to host the World Cup, you've got one which is based in Europe, we've got Egypt, North Africa. Is, is that? Am I getting that right? I'm, I'm getting into a geographical panic here. And then we've got Saudi Arabia itself, Middle East. Ultimately, the... The, the decision to, to give the hosting to a World Cup is done on a voting basis. And it could be that Greece will get European votes, uh, Egypt will get some of the Afri- North African votes, and Saudi Arabia would, would get support of, of countries in the Middle East. So you, you can see from a, from a geopolitical point of view why this might be attractive. But uh, in respect of the World Cup, it, it has provoked... Uh, a, a bit of a kickback from Australia and New Zealand, their, their football associations, they say, well, you know, we're the hosts. We've not been consulted about this. We don't feel particularly comfortable with regards to this. Does that mean that Gianni Infantino will listen? Time will tell. We need to crack on and uh, end this pod, Kieran, because if news keeps coming in while we're doing it, yes. we will never finish. It's going to be like the that wonderful model railway scene in the wrong trousers. Where the government keeps putting railway track down and they keep going on. Um, our last, well, our penultimate and our pre penultimate story take us to North Wales. The first one, Kieran, I have to be very careful how I pronounce this because this is the town in which Ali, my wonderful wife, was brought up. Uh, she's not here at the moment, otherwise, she would have insisted on coming in to pronounce it properly, but she's left me various phonetic notes to say that this uh, story is about. Clandidno FC. And if, right. if you think um, my pronunciation of Clandidno FC is wrong, uh, take it up with Ali. <laughs> <laughs> that's her. Oh, that's the, is that Google Translate saying? I, I, think, <laughs> I, I don't know why that's got me worried now. So, I, I think that's the university telling me to. I need to get out. <laughs> <laughs> Stop using our electricity. Yes, we've got we've got a sustainable energy policy. Get out, Maguire. It's five to nine in the evening. What are you doing at work? Has she kicked him out again? (laughs) Um, What's happened here uh, in in respect of Clandidno FC is in October 2014, they have a 3G pitch and that was deemed unsafe due to, I quote, a slight health and safety issue. But I think it's far more than that. Um, It was installed in 2014 at a cost of £500,000. And they've not managed to play any matches since um, October. I think they're trying to play some matches uh, in Bangor. But uh, they've they've launched a GoFundMe campaign because football in individual villages is something which which in towns should be preserved. They've they've got a ground which has got a 2,000 capacity. So they they, they get a a, a decent number of fans turning up. So that's, that's our first story from North Wales. And if I quickly leap across to a slightly more high-profile team from the area, we, we go to, to Wrexham. And um, Wrexham have, uh, have entered a winner-takes-all competition in the United States where the, the, the prize, and I think there's four teams, and I, I presume that it'll either be a round-robin or it could be a, it could be a knockout, um, uh, the prize is $1 million, which wow. for a club in the fifth tier of, of uh, the pyramid is, is very sizable. Um, 
let's be honest. Um, I think the owner factor, the brand of the owners, uh, is is a, a contributory factor here. But there's nothing wrong with taking advantage of, of the brand of uh, of McElhenney and, and Ryan Reynolds. Um, and you go, okay, this looks good. And then you read, uh, it's a seven-a-side tournament. Ah. And you go, well, we, I've done five-a-side and six-a-side, but I've never done seven-a-side. So I don't know what size the goal nets are. Um, I, I don't know what the rules will be. Um, and I think there is a, there's, a, there's a curiosity factor. Um, I think people will be turning up to the tournament partly due to the hope of seeing the owners of the football club, not necessarily the football club itself. Um, but, you know, power to their elbow if, if they do that and, and, the, and if, you know, if they are successful also in getting to the EFL, um, uh, you know, thing, things are, are going pretty well for Wrexham at present and this could be another million bucks going into the coffers. Well, the owners talked publicly this week about uh, aiming for the Premier League and this is yet another example of the potential return on their investment, should they get that far? I mean, we saw the, the uh, brilliant away support last night at Sheffield United. They played very, very well in two games against the team that are almost nominally a Premier League team. So that the, the potential is is clearly huge at the Wrexham Kieran, isn't it? And it, it's it's gone beyond being a novelty now in the Wrexham story. It yes. seems like something that is actually does have proper foundations, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and. Uh, I went along to a, a clubs in crisis match, um, a fans united match yeah. in Wrexham, and I think that was around about two thousand and four. Yeah. Uh, and you know, we'd had we did something similar at Brighton and Chester, and other you know when clubs were going through some really tough times, and the hospitality of the Wrexham fans. I've never known such generosity. Uh, so yeah, I've got I've got I've got an affection for the club before they uh, before they they had to take over. Um, they were great fans. They were great fun, and I wish them all the best. Yeah. Now I'm aware, Kieran, uh, as our listeners are, that this is a longer pod than normal. I'm slightly worried that some of our middle-aged listeners who uh, listen to us in the gym of a morning will be knackering themselves <laughs> by doing extra extra workout and some people are going to be late for work and some people's dogs are going to be saying please can we get off this beach has it finished <laughs> um, but our last story kieran is a sterling indication of the global nature of world football well of course world football would be global kieran but you, <laughs> you, we're all tired kieran we've all had a drink yes. we've all been here too long but you know what i mean Yes, this is in respect of the chairman of Internazionale, uh, a guy called Stephen Zhang. And he has borrowed $300 million from the China Construction Bank. And I think it's fair to say they're not very pleased with him because he's not got round to paying it back. Uh, um, he was appointed the chairman in 2018. His, his dad is the founder of Sunning Holdings, um, who are the owners of Internazionale. Um, but they are in trouble due to $1.7 billion worth of loan default. So it's, it, it's, it's a company in crisis. It looks like the individual is in crisis. There's been accusations that he's been hiding his assets. So when the banks come after him, they can't find his assets. Uh, and yet you go to his Instagram page, and you say, that car looks pretty decent. 
and has and the car next to it looks pretty decent. And blimey, O'Reilly, he's got he's got a third one as well. Um, so yes, uh, you know, Inter have, have done pretty well in in uh, Syria in the past couple of years, um, but uh, the owners appear here to be in a bit of a mess. And if the owners are a bit of a mess, sometimes that can flow through to the football club itself. Yeah. Uh, apologies to everyone that this has been a slightly longer pod than normal, but I think you'll all understand that we wanted to do the Man City story and the Walkham story, to be fair, full justice. Um, thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them to make a small monthly contribution, that'd be very kind of you. Go to patreon.com slash price of football. If you'd like to take part in our regular spot, the Smith's Lyric Sweepstake, you can do the same thing. And if you have a question you'd like answered on a show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, it's been a long evening. I know it's over. Let's just call it quits there. <laughs> Thanks very much for your support, folks, and we'll see you soon. How many Smith songs did we get up to there? Uh, eight. Eight. <laughs> Bye, everybody. We are childish. That goes the BAFTA again. <laughs> Bye. The price of football. I'm for the